0: At the story time, and quite a bit lately, last night, I was telling uh, the little story about the bell and the fish on the front porch. Uh, Have you noticed it? Who's noticed it? Okay, a few, yeah. I think we have to get it to ring a little more, you know, because the fish is the ringer. It's because in the temples there's a bell like that with a fish everywhere. So whenever you're walking in the temple grounds in Korea, you can always say "ding, ding, 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 ding," and look up, find it, and it's there's this fish dinging the bell. And it's 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 a metaphor for a fish swims up the stream to eventually spawn. I know that's the case with salmon, being from the northwest, and it's not easy. The current is against. So swimming up the stream is difficult. And oftentimes there's whirlpools and you can get sucked into them and thrown back and lots of problems. And it's said that after swimming against the stream, swimming up the stream, and then coming to a waterfall and trying and trying to get up, finally getting up, the fish turns into a dragon. And the dragon is... uh, a symbol in Asian uh, culture of enlightenment and so the dragon swims freely in the water quite joyfully enjoying wisdom, enjoying Dharma. Yeah. So our path is like that. We all have our version of Swimming up the stream and trying to get up waterfalls. Getting thrown back, getting somersaulted in the water. Keep trying, keep trying, and then we turn into dragons. So I was really happy that someone left a dragon in the garden. It was about four, no, maybe about six or eight years ago. And uh, so it reminded me always of that are all of our journeys, you know, getting to be a dragon. Some of us are, not me yet, but some of you, silver dragons, you know, as your hair gets a little grey, silver. And so we are all what we call prajna dragon bodhisattvas, in the process, prajna meets wisdom, so Wisdom, enlightening, awakening, helpers in this world. And the way to really do that is to throw yourself in the water, in the stream, amidst whatever you've got going in your neck of the woods. Okay. So, one of the big obstacles to being, to being able to do that is... That we all have a pretty good solid sense of ourselves. I don't think I can throw myself in the ocean. I have to hold myself tight. No? I have to really save me. And I'm no exception to that. I uh, was particularly noticing it when I was at my sister's about a month ago in Victoria, British Columbia. And we see each other every couple of years, and she takes me around. I take her around, and she always sort of, this is my sister, she's a Buddhist priest. (laughs) So right away she gets me into, and everybody's thinking, and I'm thinking, oh, Buddhist priest. (laughs) She'll take me um, to the acupuncture uh, place, and... uh, She's the a Buddhist priest. Oh, the acupuncture! I've never worked on a Buddhist priest. <laughs> it really becomes this subject of the thing. A Buddhist priest, and everybody's concepts, including my own, of a Buddhist priest, sort of lock us into this crazy sort of crazy dance, crazy experience. She takes me to the clothes store because she likes. She doesn't think you know that I have uh, enough clothes. And um, this is my sister, the Buddhist priest, everywhere I go, you know. And um, she only likes to wear (laughs) grey. Well, it's a a little bit true, but (laughs) actually holding that so tight loses the fun in life all the time. So when I was out there, you know, I got a grey, new jacket. Gray pants, and I got gray. Because <laughs> of course, everybody in the store, you know, look for something gray for the Buddhist priest. <laughs> but what? But it, and and I find it difficult, and then it was hard for me to say, Noreen, would you please stop introducing me as a Buddhist priest? Because it kind of stunts everything. I also noticed when I introduced myself as a Buddhist priest, it often stunts everything. Because I used to ride the mega bus to Chicago for two years, almost every Tuesday, because I used to teach the meditation course in Chicago for those two years. And, um, you know, you, you just can't help but going back and forth so many times but to getting into a conversation with somebody on the bus. And as soon as I introduced myself as a Buddhist priest, on several occasions, the other person said, oh, I'm a Christian, this and that, and, or I study the Bible. And immediately, it felt like instead of getting together, just talking with each other, we were sort of competing with each other. And I was part of the responsibility for that. you know. In the first place, I just think I would not, riding the megabus again, even say anything about really, I clean toilets at a temple in Ann Arbor. <laughs> <laughs> would be a kind of better kind of way to break the ice. Break the ice of all of our identification that can take place so easily, you know? Yeah. So what are the teachings? But let me see if I have any other good examples because I do it all the time. Um, I'll just tell a little story about my old husband. You know, when when we first met, one of the things that brought us together was that we uh, decided, we went to a lecture on uh, becoming a a vegetarian and we became very strict vegetarians. In fact, when we would go to my mother's place, who was not a vegetarian, and she's a great, she would always cook roast beef in Yorkshire pudding. Uh, We would just turn up our nose, you know, as if well, that's really, you know, outdated thing to be doing. You should be a vegetarian. And it just created, you know, barriers. So we had this, and our teacher took us out to a Chinese restaurant once, and um, after this, and he ordered all dishes with fish and chicken and meat in them. And my husband in particular, he said, I don't eat that. And so Tsuram didn't say anything, but he was really making a big point that you're just being too tight about this. And what happens is, you know the spoon tasting the soup? It's really the tongue that tastes the soup? The spoon is all these kind of views and barriers we put up, so we really cannot taste the situation, whether it's, clothes, or views, or all the things that we shape as me. Have you ever thought of it that way? Mm. That is actually quite a barrier from tasting the good soup of life, so to speak. So what are the teachings about this? It, it's, let's examine what are called the four graspings, or the four attachments, And um, I brought up these a little bit a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the 14 precepts of the order of interbeing because they're precepts which help us not to be so attached even to good things, even to Buddhism. So here are the four graspings or attachments in our tradition is this to sensuality. So this is things that Delight light our eyes, our ears, our tongue, our sense of touch, our thinking. So we can get stuck in that. To wrong views, or clinging to false views. This is the way I see it. We have a lot of trouble in the world right now with people who are clinging to views too strongly. And as those precepts say, there's never really any view that is completely true. So we must, we must examine that when we ourselves take up looking at something in a particular way. For instance, me, vegetarian is the best. The third one is getting stuck with rules and rituals. Following things too strongly. Strongly. And dogmatically. Not being able to relax a little bit and in this situation exercise wisdom rather than rigidity. And the fourth one is having too strong a concept of ourselves. So those are the things which keep us from throwing ourselves into the water of interconnection and interbeing in our lives. Okay, so let's see. Then um, I like to just say how our Zen tradition developed in a certain way and some of the practices. And if we look back into time around the 9th and 10th century in China, and China was flourishing also Korea and other Asian countries at that time. But flourishing, as is the case of impermanence, changes. And so there was a lot of uh, war and problems, and from the information that I was recently reading, two out of three people died during a ten-year period of that time. A lot of people, can you imagine that with us? It would be really devastating. And the Zen teachers at the time had been quite didactic in their presentations, giving talks, everybody listening. But it was around that time that some teachers, especially Matsu and Shito, two uh, masters whose work has come down to this day, they said, we can't just give these talks and create this this, um, division, this duality among people, What are we going to do in these really difficult situations? And so they switched over to something that was much more throw it in the ocean in every situation. And some of the examples of how that was... So, um, let me see here... Um, Chan innovators had a fierce desire to leap out of the usual way of doing things and into new territory. I feel like we're at a stage in this country and culture, maybe in the whole world right now, to have to do that. And to go into new territory, not to escape the catastrophe looming around them, but to be more able to fully meet it. So we're not trying to leave, we're trying to embrace. It's about relationship in time. tongue. So this included flexibility of mind. Oh, this. And now this. And now this, kind of thing. The second one is an easy relationship with the unknown. In fact, the unknown can be quite a gift because it helps us to open our mind up, gives us more possibilities. They come from the unknown. The third is a robust willingness to engage with life as they found it. Not it should be this way, but here it is. Let me robustly engage. Just like yesterday, we had a few people come to help in the garden. And the way it was, was cold. And the way it was, was just we had to move and do a bunch of things and everybody just got into it. And I think that there was really a robust willingness to do it. And we could, everybody could feel it from the others. That's actually what we try to create around here. A robust willingness, but you have to turn up and throw yourself in to be able to really experience that. And then you can take it everywhere. So we've got flexibility of mind, an easy relationship with the unknown, a robust willingness to engage with life as we find it. That's called true practice. And the fourth one is getting a bigger view, more perspective. It's not about getting free of the world, but about being free in it. And that could be just a darn lot of hard work. But it's hard work that is worth every moment of it. Not only for us, for everybody. So the questions come, what's it like to have no position at all? It's not being the Buddhist priest, and whatever your version of that is, the victim, the this, the that. What does it mean for each of us to be wholeheartedly (coughs) part of this world? How do we fall willingly into a pretty tough world situation? It's beautiful in some ways, our world, and kind of crazy in other ways. Not just the whole world, but even in our family situations, our community situations. How can we just willingly let ourselves in there, just as things are? Yeah. So there were some questions that I picked up from Chito and Matsu. And Shito um, said, he, he was questioned, what am I supposed to do? Given all this, what am I, supp- what am I supposed to do? And the answer from Shito was, uh, why are you asking me? and uh, so the student said uh, where else can I find out what I'm looking for and Shito answered are you sure you lost it so in Buddhism we say everybody's got it it's just that we're kind of out of touch with it we're operating from the spoon tasting the soup kind of thing So we have to throw our bodies in a lot of times. Zen is said to be a tradition outside of the scriptures, not dependent on words or letters, but pointing directly to the true nature. So our whole practice is about getting a glimpse of this true nature. This is pretty special. Hayun brought up a question this morning (laughs) at our Dharma discussion. She said that, how do we really see this wondrous kind of life that's before us? How can we really see it? Because it takes... We miss it so much and we don't set out. I don't say that's for you guys because I think the fact that you're here means that you're interested in this Buddha nature even if you don't even call it that. <coughs> but the thing is that not many people take it up because there's too many other easy things out there <laughs> to do. And Buddha nature and doing this <coughs> work means that we have to dismantle our me, our persona that we've built up, the Buddha's uh, priest syndrome. See, even the Buddhist priest syndrome has to go. So good, you made it here. You stayed relatively still and quiet for an hour and a half. (laughs) Listen to the old teacher. And now, I have to say, it is not that you cannot do it, but that you do not do it. So I invite you, please come as much as you can. Get your hands dirty in the garden. Yesterday we dragged that dragon out that's been in the garden for many years. We tried to wash it off and we put it in the song Hall. We want to, because you've got to remember that you always have this beautiful dragon, wisdom dragon nature. It's what we forget so much. And what happens is, if you get here and you just pull yourself in over and over again, then you get a little taste. And surprisingly, a little taste of community, during meditation, in the garden. You said yesterday it was really nice in the garden. Yeah. And somebody else said, I want to come back regularly. That's how we all start to begin to shine these ways. Eh? Eh. Yeah. So remember, it is not that you cannot do it. You surely can And everybody's got it. It's a little different from everybody. We heard all the storytellers last night, which is simply precious. And every single one of them was so different. And each of you are working on the time when you can get up and tell your story. Mm -hmm. But better still, just throwing yourself (coughs) into the life that you have, because that's the most precious gift we can give to the world these days. I just heard that the president of North Korea and the president of South Korea got together and they decided that there was going to be no nuclear activity in North and South Korea. And I saw a picture of the president of North Korea, who I just feel like he's some kind of a crazy guy, you know, (laughs) step over the line into South Korea. And then the South Korean president stepped over the line into North Korea. And then they got into South Korea and gave each other a hug, and then they they had negotiations. So it just goes to show, I've always thought the president of South Korea, when I saw him at the Olympics, was such kind of like a Buddhist monk in disguise as the president. It felt to me like that. Um, The way he conducted the Olympics and invited the sister of the president of North Korea to help light the flame and all of that, I thought, wow, there's some good mischief going on in that place. So I think that we have to do our version of that. That guy's crazy? Well, what can I do? Can we just step over the line a little bit, back and forth, give up? Me, mine, the way I see things. And usually we can do it if it's going to be for the benefit of others. Sometimes we don't always do it because just for ourselves. So, please consider. Amen. (laughs) Let's just sing a song before we have our announcements. Okay? So... Quite a few people know it because it's kind of my favorite song. But it, it's all about throwing, uh, What? Uh, saving a single drop of water. No coming, no going, no after, no before. I hold you close to me. Because I am in you and you are in me. Because I am in you and you are in me. I was so touched uh, on Wednesday night, one of our members graduated from the School of Business with his degree and his going to work in the United Kingdom. It was his last time with us, and some of the members just spontaneously broke out in song for him as he was going. I didn't even leave it, so that made it even better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay. Let's finish with the four great vows. Please repeat after me. All beings, one body. All beings, one body. I vow to liberate. I vow to liberate. Blind passions, one root. Blind passions, one root. I vow to terminate. I vow to terminate. Dharma gates, one mind. Dharma gates, one mind. I vow to realize. I vow to realize. The great way of Buddha. The great way of Buddha, awakening, awakening, Awakening. I vow to realize, I vow to realize,